Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Mark Lesser, and we will be talking about his journey as well as his new book, Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships, Thriving Workplaces, and Meaningful Lives. An important and fundamental distinction to make is between difficult people and behaviors or actions that we find difficult, Mark says in his book, Finding Clarity. The pattern of labeling, labeling difficult behavior as a kind of character flaw is, all, is so pervasive that it has a name, attribution error. This refers to how when someone does something that hurts or angers us, we tend to judge that person we tend to judge that person. Lost my, uh, lost my side here. Okay, it's a difficult person. All of their actions fit under that umbrella. Excuse me. Mark Lesser is a CEO, executive coach, and Zen teacher with more than 25 years of experience supporting leaders in in reaching their full potential, both in business and in life. Mark helped develop the world-renowned Search Inside Yourself program within Google, a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence training for leaders, which teaches the art of integrating mindfulness, emotional intelligence, and business savvy for creating great corporate cultures and a better world. For more information, you can visit Mark's website, which is marklesser.net, and it's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mark to So Good day, Mark. It's great to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm uh, looking forward to our, our discussion and, you know, helping our listeners find a little bit more clarity or just even learning more about clarity and then, then you know, the idea of compassionate accountability, which is, is quite um, unique. Um, but so I think maybe we should first start with, um, can you tell us a little bit about your journey? You, you have quite um, – a road that you traveled um, with business. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, well, my my road has been this uh, uh, interesting weaving of the business world and the uh, the spiritual world or contemplative world. You know, I um, I was minding my own business. I was just a young uh, college student back uh, in Gerson, New Jersey, and I. Uh, but but it was there that I I started something something clicked for me in my own uh, fe- feeling that um, uh, being in college uh, wasn't quite the right path. I was getting uh, excited and passionate about reading about 
um, existentialism and Eastern and Western philosophy and mysticism, and I discovered a book about meditation and, and Zen and thought, I wanted to do this. I didn't want to just read about it, and I took a one-year leave of absence, uh, went from New Jersey to a, a program um, in, in San Francisco, but right away discovered the San Francisco Zen Center, and that did it. As soon as I walked into the Zen Center, I I actually felt this um, kind of voice that said, I think this place is worth 10 years of my life. And it was just a combination, I think, of the the um, the people. A lot, a lot of um, Ivy League dropouts, and, and and but but also just a real mix, real mix of of um, of people who were all, I thought, sincerely searching together to be them their best selves and to make the most impact that we could in our lives and and the world, and 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 I. One of the surprising things, though, to me about my, my time at the Zen Center was how I kept getting asked to take on leadership roles, which surprised I didn't think of myself at all in, in that way. But um, I got asked to figure out how to farm with horses, and then I got asked to run kitchen. And, and then my, my tenth year at the Zen Center, I was the director of a um, – a traditional Zen monastery in the mountains in California that happens to turn into a conference center and a retreat center in the summertime with like 70 or 80 overnight guests, a place called Tassahara. And it was really there, I think, that I I got this aha that um, I was actually running a business. And even though I was you know, steeped in the world of mindfulness and meditation, um, I I really was a lot of my growth and a lot of my uh, experience was enjoying this leadership and, and working with people and the integration of these two things about gr- growing my own and others' character and at the same time uh, getting things done and running running a business. And, and it, it occurred to me that there might be a real need for this, and I, I ended up uh, going back getting you know, graduating from Rutgers and going right into New York University Business School. And out of business school, I started a publishing company that I ran for uh, for many years where we were licensing, like, the words of the Dalai Lama and Thich Han and other poets and teachers. And, and then um, a real life-changing event for me was a call I got. And this is funny. This now goes back um, – about 15 years, maybe 2006, 2007. Could that really be 15 years ago? I guess it could be. <laughs> I, I, I got a call. How would you like to come help develop a mindfulness meditation leadership program inside of Google? And, um, and, and that was really life changing in finding myself standing up in front of rooms of uh, Google engineers. Uh, uh, teaching, teaching these um, contemplative practices and leadership practices, and uh, I, I was um, discovered how much I loved teaching and doing trainings, and I also, I then ended up uh, co-founding an organization that was birthed inside of Google, which was uh, 
the, the mission was about bringing these mindfulness and emotional intelligence programs into organizations all, all around the world. Um, and training and training others to do that as well, and and I I I was so I I've now been you know the CEO of a few different companies, and I love strategy and business, and um, but really you know I, I love um, you know character building and self awareness building and social change. I've always been I've been you know uh, involved in the world of business as a, business as a force for good. Um, and, and these days I am doing um, mostly one-on-one uh, executive coaching with people running uh, startups and, and socially, socially responsible businesses, and I do some consulting. And, yeah, I know my fifth book just came out uh, amazingly. I don't quite know how that happened either, a book called Finding Clarity. Um, yeah, what a and it's been. I, I feel a tremendous sense of um, privilege with what I've been able to do and the support that I've had and the opportunities that I've had. Um, I I do feel some, you know, you know. I it, it certainly um, has not gotten past me that the name of this show is bringing inspiration to Earth. And what we're doing to Earth often makes me sad. And I feel like, man, Earth, we, we and Earth need some serious inspiration to uh, change the way that we change a lot of our assumptions and behaviors uh, on, on all levels. And I, I love, I, I'm really passionate about what I think of as the, the connection between the personal, the relationship world, the business world, and then the, you know, the greater, greater transformation of our, of this planet Earth. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's wonderful. I mean, the, that, is, that is what we need, is, is the, um, that holistic uh, view, you know, because it takes, you know, the personal business as well as that um, really 30,000 foot kind of view of, of the world to be able to to make the changes. Um, have you, now, first of all, I was, you know, I found it interesting, you know, that uh, you had that uh, Google stint um, where you did the Searching Inside Yourself program. Um, have you found, I mean, obviously you've been doing this now for a number of years, have you found that um, businesses are, um, I, I'm, it seems like they're more accepting of the idea of mindfulness and, you know, of, of social accountability. Um, do you find that um, there is a, first of all, that it's increased, you know, in, in, in how much, and do you think that the um, that businesses um, recognize, I guess, just the the importance, you know, of that kind of you know perspective and business model? Yeah. Well, it was interesting, you know, when. Um when I first started doing these programs inside of Google, it was actually a, you know, a, um, a program that was developed by a single, you know, engineer, 
Um, and there wasn't a whole lot of support, and I would say maybe even some resistance from more senior senior leadership and management at Google. You know, what are, why are we doing these uh, mindfulness and meditation programs? That's not that's not our business. Um, but the program became more and more popular and spread kind of like wildfire within the organization. And and I think at some point the the leadership got it, and 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 I think the company as a whole, the, the leadership of the company got that there is a uh, a real need for creating um, trust, collaboration, emotional intelligence. That the human that the human element inside of businesses um, is not to be ignored, and in fact, it's not a distraction, you know, from uh, getting things done or financial success or meeting, you know, taking making visions reality, it is a core part. And this is actually, I think, well, a, a, there's been, I think, a big awakening that is still happening right now uh, in our culture and worldwide. Um, and I think it was quite important and useful that Google, you know, Google as one of the premier brands in the world, gave mindfulness and, and mindful business a some real credibility. And and then lots of companies were and are, you know, super interested in, yeah. and wanted wanted to know about this and, and were interested in bringing more of, of these in. And and the, I think the world the world is changing in many ways. I think that there there was this maybe almost unstated but powerful assumption in the business world that was all about rooting out, you know, humanity and emotions, you know, things like form charts and, and, and the way that companies thought. So it's interesting, you know, my new book is about compassionate accountability. Because accountability, you know, everyone in business, nobody has a problem with that other than that it might sound a little harsh. You know, accountability sounds a bit cold. But you know, as leaders and managers, we all recognize that we need, you know, we need clarity and honesty and a sense of, um, our, you know, how are we performing against our our goals? How much are we aligned? All these um, accountability measures are obvious and essential and core to the workplace. Uh, but but bringing in the compassion piece is this. You know, there's, there, there, there is a little bit of tension around, but I think it, it can be a very healthy tension around trust and care and even love, compassion, and, you know, performance and results and getting things done. So, uh, to me, this is kind of a real important and fascinating part of, and not only our businesses, I'd say, you know, in our, in all our relationships. There's, of course, there's a need for accountability, and there's a need for, um, you know, caring, caring and compassion as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. In um, in reading um, Finding Clarity, um, you it indicated that you know those the, the Finding Clarity and then the compassionate accountability were two core issues that you found in basically every setting that you were in. Um, I'd like to explore 
clarity a little bit. Um, um, in the book, you kind of uh, you indicate that there are really kind of two um, components or two different um, aspects to clarity, uh, one being everyday and one being kind of the mysterious. So can you, for, for the listeners, can you kind of explain, you know, exactly what clarity, can you be clear about what clarity is in, in those two different perspectives? Yeah, there's, you know, there's um, a few ways that I can describe it. You know, it, it's interesting. I was thinking of the work of um, uh, Daniel Kahneman in the book uh, book he wrote called Thinking Fast and Slow, where he talks about, you know, he, he, he's looking at, at clarity, I think, through the scientific mind. And one, he's saying, you know, that uh, system one, he calls, I think, is the uh, the world of our emotions, right? Our intuitive world. It's a bit more mysterious. There's some, um, and and I'd say I I take that maybe even a little bit further, um, and think of, you know, the the world even outside of our usual consciousness, the the more the the sacred world. But there's that whole bucket I'd say of our emotional world, the mysterious world, the sacred world, which is a core part of I mean, of being human, right? Of of our of our consciousness and these questions about, you know, how did we get here and how did consciousness even evolve in the first place and, and how did our emotions evolve? And then, you know, what Kahneman calls, um, it's, uh, you know, uh, the, the other world is just the ordinary world of, of thinking and decision-making and the relative world and, and um, the, the, the judgments the the world of money, the world of stuff, the like all of the you know the the, the world the world of computer computations. So there is there is a um, the world of precision, and I think I, I I define from one perspective, we I think clarity means living with some openness and uh, clear ability effective ability to live simultaneously in what looks like these both worlds, right? Whether you describe it as the world of our thinking minds and the world of our emotions or the world of the relative world or the world of the more kind of uh, sacred or ab- absolute world. From another, I mean, another way that I would describe clarity is that, um, you know, we we humans very easily uh fall into, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, right? Anytime, anytime we feel that we are uh, in danger or vulnerable, our natural, our natural reaction is to, is to run away and avoid or to attack or, or that we become stymied. And, and another way of looking at clarity is to find, to, to, to be more and more aware of our our proclivities and our habit energy and our patterns and to find a sense of greater greater freedom in how we are responding, uh, especially how we're responding 
to fears and threats and, and difficult situations, or even you, what you read in the beginning of my introduction, how we respond to so-called difficult people and, and, uh, and to turn the light inward, uh, or whether it's difficult people or difficult situations, and use, use those as opportunities for greater understanding of and finding greater clarity and freedom in our own way of being, in our own reactions. And this, I think, is a core skill in all our relationships, in, in, in and outside of the work world. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the, the one thing, when, um, as I was going through and reading about difficult people, um, I have kind of smiled because, of, you know, of course, immediately my mind went to, okay, let me think of a hoop, you know, hoop, and I've, you know, thought or who I kind of labeled, you know, as difficult people and, and, and recognize the idea of that, um, when, when I applied that label, that from that point forward, my interactions with that individual, um, were clouded by that label, you know, that, that the, the fact that I, you know, may have found what they did at one point difficult, you know, um, or, or challenging, that, that it then, you know, any of the future kinds of interactions were, were the same. So, you know, the idea of, um, first of all, you know, not applying the label or, or recognizing that, you know, it is, not really a difficult person, but it was the behaviors of the individual that were difficult, you know. And then um, in your book you talk about, you know, when that happens, you know, to look at oneself and see how I contributed to that difficult, you know, interaction. And uh, and it was quite enlightening, you know, in, in the sense that it's like, okay, well, you know, let me just go ahead and scrap, you know, that idea of someone being a difficult person. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine um, you know someone listening to this really getting angry about this this idea because <laughs> you know um, what do you mean you know what are you talking about you know you know right uh, well well one one I think it's important to say there are there are actually difficult, toxic people. There are. And, and, but I think it's a tiny, tiny percentage overall. That, that's not, that's not what we're talking about, but I want to not ignore that, that there are, you know, right? So it's not like, oh, what is, you know, this is all about me. Um, but, you know, an interesting rule of thumb in this terrain is that we judge other people by the impact that their actions, that their words and actions have on us. We judge ourselves, our intentions, right? We are all, every one of us, we're good people. We're all good, every, you, know, we're, you know, we're all good people. We all mean well. We all think that we are, are, are good, competent, you know, lovable human beings. Uh, but but when, when someone else, does something or says something that in any way bothers us or hurts us or makes us feel less than or vulnerable, the human, and and I think this is part of our evolution, we've evolved to go right to blame, 
right? And it's and it's generally unconscious, right? That that if 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 I'm hurt, they must be a bad person, right? So or mm-hmm. or they're different. So it's so interesting how quickly unconsciously that that happens. So this is the 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 terrain, you know, that really uh, I find super super in, interesting uh, to be a little bit curious about our own reaction. Uh, what is it? What is it in us that is responding and reacting to what just happened here? And to be a little curious about the other person's um, intention was. I, another rule of thumb in this realm is that impact is not intention. And impact and intention are different, right? So, so if you say something to me and and I'm like. Ouch! Like, oh, that that hurts, or like, man, what what was what was that? Like, just there's there's just it might be a very subtle or not so subtle kind of tightening that happens from what you said or the way you looked at me or 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 what you did, and so that's the impact, right? But what I don't know actually is what your intention was, and and that's where there's some real. Some space to uh, you know around more understanding and alignment is you know, so the the first chapter of my book is called uh, be curious not furious uh, and and that's a uh, kind of a way to remember any any time we're feeling that impact uh, and we're feeling furious or tight or angry or or scared you know if we feel any of that and a fight or flight tendency. It's a good, a good, almost all the time. It's a good time uh, to be more curious. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know that idea of um, you know not knowing what the intentions were behind what someone has said, but also the idea of some you know introspection. Why? Why did I feel that it hurt me? What was it in me? you know, that reacted that way, you know, because, uh, you know, there may have been some, you know, kind of past insecurity or, or something like that that, that um, you know, needn't be there, you know. That, so, I mean, it's, you know, so the idea of um, being curious, you know, and, and asking questions, um, it can kind of be that, that uh, the external, you know, why, you know, I mean, what was the motive or what, you know, was there any particular intention behind you know the behavior, and then my reaction to it? You know, curious about yeah. my reaction to it as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. A um, you know, a work example I think of is that you know you're 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 at a meeting, or maybe you're the person you're the person leading a meeting of people, and someone in the room who's at the meeting says says something that that makes you feel like they just challenged you in some way or that they were not quite or they were questioning your competence now mm-hmm. um, right there's there's like a little ouch now and you might your immediate reaction might be anger right you're like you feel or you might feel embarrassed or vulnerable or how dare they or and and later but as you think about this, you might realize, oh, this was exactly the same feeling that you had when you were 
a teenager at the dinner table when your mother or your father was questioning you and you felt that kind of that kind of uh, vulnerability or question about your competence. And so it's so interesting, you know, often when I'm in the work world, I kind of see, you know, we, we, all, we, we all bring in our history and our previous patterns and proclivities. And, and um, you know, sometimes the, to me the work world looks like a, a fish tank that where the water hasn't been cleaned in a while and people don't even realize mm-hmm. it because there's there's so much of this kind of uh, assumptions and lack lack of curiosity about you know in, in what way what what is my own responsibility what in what in what way am I so like in in that example that I just that I just described you know that person may not have been intending to challenge me at all. They might have just been stating a concern that they had, asking a question, and, and, and you know, I may have been completely overreacting because of a, pattern, a childhood pattern that, that I had. Mm-hmm. And again, we, uh, we, all, we all do this, but, and, and I think it's, um, it can be useful and interesting, and uh, it can help with our development. The development to become more and more uh, open and familiar with to these various um, patterns that we have in ourselves, and and I I think of work the workplace as actually a great environment, a great cauldron for developing ourselves. Even though many of many of us don't experience that way, right? Because it's hard. It's hard. These these aren't other these other people. These other people are not easy. They because they all bring Again, we all bring these patterns, and then there needs to be a kind of um, a culture where we can actually work with some compassion, you know, and understand that we're that, you know. And this is what, to me, and you, you kind of alluded to this accountability. As I think of it, it's both in the what we're trying to accomplish, but it's also how how are we working together. You know, can we safely explore and talk about even these um, these more difficult, vulnerable relationships issues that we might have with each other? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Mark, we're just halfway past the show, so I want to take just a quick break, and then when we come back, I want to talk about the various uh, steps in your approach to finding clarity. Okay. Okay. Okay, everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello, this is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. 
We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest is Mark Besser, and we're talking about his new book, Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships, Thriving Workplaces, and Meaningful Lives. Again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is marklesser.net, and that's M A R C. L-E-S-S-E-R dot net. Okay, with that, we're back, Mark. Good to be back. Great. <laughs> okay, great. So um, I thought, you know, for the listeners to get a, a good idea of the various topics that you have in your book, to go through what you call as your approach, you know, to the finding clarity um, and compassion and accountability. Um, and then maybe just, you know, do a little bit of highlight and, and that way people can kind of understand the process. And when they get the book, then they can just go, you know, read it, go into more detail and then implement it. So, um, the first part of, of the approach was start by stopping. Um, you know, that kind of, uh, makes me want to jerk forward <laughs> in a way. So can you, can you talk about what you mean by that? Sure. You you pointed out, which I, I I hadn't realized that these are these are the kind of nine steps or nine practices that I call I call the cheat sheets, right? That these are the summary of right my, my approach. And and yes, the first the first one is um, to start by stopping, which which again is means uh, to begin by being still, by reflecting, right? That that the we we're all we all tend to be so busy and moving at a fast pace, um, and I think that the, the the first step in finding clarity and being able to practice more uh, <laughs> with these practices that I described are to to be able to step out of the stream the, the stream of our lives the stream of busyness and. Um, I have a strong bias and experience around the importance of, again, it could be a, a meditation practice or a journal writing practice or g- going for walk practice, but sometimes, sometimes when we can regularly and consciously uh, step out of the, the, the streams, the stories, the to-do list, the pressures of, of our lives, and, and that's, um, I think that's a really important beginning place. Start by stopping. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For, for me, I have my morning practices uh, walk. You know, a, a nature walk. I'm a kind of a, a nature photographer, so I always spend my morning, you know, taking my walk. And you know, I when it comes to the phone, the phone is you know in the pocket. It's on you know uh, mute. While I do that, so I don't get interrupted, and it's amazing um, how my mind slows down in that you know that two to three mile.
start, it, it, it is going through my to-do list and all the different things, all my worries, all my anticipation, all, you know, all kinds of things that monkey mind, you know, does um, yeah. in the morning. And um, and then by the time, you know, I walk, take a few pictures, say hi to a few of the neighbors, you know, maybe stop in the garden. You know, by the time I'm done with that, it's it's a whole – I just feel completely different, you know. And then the um, topics or, or the, you know, those things that were running through my mind kind of slowly returned, you know. And, and they usually turn, return in – um, in order of importance, you know, for things to kind of do. So, and, and for me, there are many days that I just don't feel like it. You know, it's like, I just wake up and it's like, I don't really want to do a walk today. But I, but I make myself do it because I, I recognize mm-hmm. now, you know, after a, a period of time that, that it's really an important part of the the process, an important part of my day. And and probably, if I don't feel like it, maybe it's even more important that I do it. Yeah. You know, this is one where um, uh, I I find I'm often um, suggesting that people have a regular meditation practice. And and it is hard, and I, I hear lots and lots of people say how much they want to, but it's too hard, and, and they ask me what, what the trick is. And partly, you know, the, the kind of discipline that you just described, that's one of the tricks. The other trick, I find, is to um, to find a partner or, mm-hmm. a, uh, or a group or a group. There's something I, – I don't think meditation was ever meant to be an individual sport, um, just like I you know. Soccer, you can't you can't play soccer by yourself. I mean, you can. You can go out in a soccer field and <laughs> kick a ball around, but but it was never intended. And, and meditation, I think, was never intended to be an individual sport. That um, there is something so it's it, it's 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 a different experience. And also, um, you know, we this is like the positive side of um, of accountability. You know, when I when I first started my meditation practice, I, I walked into, you know, a group of people um, at the San Francisco Zen Center, and there was a, you know, there was a room of probably 40 or 50 people uh, sitting together, and I went in, and I found my seat, and and uh, I noticed, you know, this woman who was sitting on one side of me, and this, um, this uh, older man who was sitting on the next side of me, and then the next morning, I went, and I and I just went in and just, you know, I went and sat in the same seat. And um, and the mm-hmm. same woman was sitting on one side. Same <laughs> and then the next morning, when my alarm went up, I thought, oh, I'm tired. I don't know if I'm going to go there. And I thought, oh, no, they're probably going to miss me if I don't show up. And there's something about, like, the way that we hold each other accountable and the, the, the kind of group um, experience of um, a meditation practice. And, one way to do that these days is to find a buddy, you know, and, it, and they can be anywhere. People, you can sit, you can sit virtually, you can sit using a, you know, a, a Zoom, Zoom meditation, or join a group virtually. And you know, I think there's different, uh, different tricks of the trade in terms of, again, whether it's walking or journaling or uh, a meditation practice to, um, to make it, make it something that uh, is a have to, just like. You know, I, I sometimes describe we don't 
decide, oh, should I brush my teeth this morning or not? No, I'm, I'm going to brush. It's just I'm going to do it whether I feel like it or not, just like you were describing right. your walk, my meditation practice about yeah. that. Yeah. So start by sleeping. Yeah. yeah, and in that particular case, you know, with others, there, um, quite often, you know, we – really work toward not, you know, disappointing others, <laughs> you know. I mean, disappointing ourselves kind of for, for some people, you know, is a, you know, is a common or is, is a, you know, something easy to deal with, you know, consequences of disappointing yourself, you know. It's like, I, I disappoint myself again, you know. But the idea of doing, you know, like you said, of those two individuals on either side of you, you know, the fact that they would miss you there, you know, that it was like, you know, for them, you know, I don't want them to feel disappointed, you know. So, I mean, there is that, you know, additional, you know, and, and again, you know, that's, it really just depends on one, uh, of getting the desire, you know, of, of getting yeah, that motivation yeah. to do that. I think there's also to realize that, of course, you know, we, the, the, the reason that I I have a meditation practice is, you know, is for myself, is to develop myself. But but when I'm there, when I go and sit with a group of people, I'm also there, my presence is supporting them. I'm there to support them, and, and their presence is supporting me. And I especially feel this, you know, I do, um, I think doing, you know, day-long or multi-day meditation retreats, those are the kinds of things mm-hmm. you really feel it. Like I, I could never, I could never sit, you know, uh, <laughs> many, many, many periods of meditation throughout a day or through several days by myself. It, but it's amazing what we can do, what we can do with the support of others. And the same is true, you know, you could never, I don't think you could ever run a marathon, for example, by yourself. But man, you you line up with a whole group of people all doing this. It's it's just a completely different level of support and experience. Oh, exactly, exactly. Um, and now, one of the other steps in your approach was turn inward, turn toward conflicts. Um, tell us about that. Yeah, I think we all, you know, we are complex creatures. We we human beings and. And so become, uh, and this, this I think is supported by the first practice. One of the things that you notice when you stop is that we have many, many, what I, what I, I'm describing here as inner, inner conflicts, right? Um, am I, am I an introvert or an extrovert? Am I successful or failing? Am, you know, what, um, am I, where, where is my joy and where are my anxieties? And, and it's just becoming more and more comfortable and familiar with our emotional lives, with our thinking, with our feelings, all, all of these. So, so it's like um, to, not, to not avoid, but instead to become familiar and even uh, embrace these various uh, inner, inner conflicts, inner tensions, the things that are uh, paradoxical and contradictory, which we all have, and to realize that we all we all have them, and and that uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and and you indicated in the book too that there are dangers really in conflict avoidance as well. Yes, 
Yeah, especially right. So, so the um, the uh, the third the third of these nine practices to is to not avoid conflict, and um, and this I think is a key a key message of my book, and it's a key message of accountability, which is that avoiding conflict is trouble. You know that we get that it's so interesting. We tend to think we. You know, we tend to think that if we we avoid conflict in order to stay safe, um, and sometimes of course that's true. And I'm not I'm not advoc- I'm not advocating for for engaging in every possible conflict, but I am advocating. I, I am I'm advocating for being aware of conflict and and skill and deciding which conflicts would be useful and effective to engage engage in and again this is true you know i um i described some situations uh in the book with my daughter um and with my wife um as well as many many uh, uh work and business conflicts that come up and the the importance of being aware of these not avoiding and having the the presence and the tools to be able to um, skillfully and effectively engage engage with these um, conflicts. Yeah, and, and in that one step with uh, the external conflict, you uh, indicate you know to um, engage with compassion. And, and I would think too that when it came time to you know those inner conflicts as well, is that you know compassion you know for for those inner conflicts is, is as important as well. For sure, for sure. And I think it's also, I think, uh, maybe obvious, but, but surprisingly not obvious that how, how much to realize that we, we all, we all, almost all of we humans have a pretty strong inner judge and inner critic going. And I think that's part of this what I described earlier as the how we've evolved, you know, for fight or flight, it, we we have that kind of that inner fight or flight, that inner sense mm-hmm. of this this inner this inner judge and critic that essentially uh, evolved to keep us safe, right? To keep us safe, check this kind of checking ourselves: are we are we safe? Are we safe? You know, what what are the, what are the uh, what, what are the fears? What are the things that we need to to watch out for? And that that inner voice can often be quite mean or quite judgmental. <laughs> um, and, and and you know we people I, I hear this again and again that we we talk to ourselves in a way that our friends or people who care about us would never talk to us. So it's become. Right you know, to become aware of that and to do any sense of uh, training, you know, this kind of self, the the practice of self-compassion. And then you get into things like what I've noticed is that many of us, especially people who are in the business world, have a firm belief that we have to be hard on ourselves or we wouldn't get anything done. Uh, this is really kind of, I think, this comes from, I think, our, you know, our European uh, work ethic kinds of cultural assumptions that we have uh, taken on. And um, I'm often encouraging and suggesting that people 
experiment with being kind to yourself, experimenting with a different approach and see if that negatively impacts your productivity. And it, it turns out that, that when we are kind to ourselves, we're actually uh, smarter. We actually are more creative. We, can, we have more choices. So this is a super interesting uh, terrain, this, um, this the inner critic and the practice of uh, self-compassion. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, and then another um, step in, in your approach is strive toward alignment via accountability. Um, now, are we talking about what, what are we talking about when it comes to alignment? That, that inner uh, understanding yeah, and clarity. Yeah, there's the alignment around you know so much of the of in the work world, but this is true in our families as well. But in the work world, it's easy to understand. I think that we are always aligning around what does success look like, right? What what is it we're trying? I mean, in some way that's obvious, but you'll you'll find in so many workplaces, people don't really know. People, it's not clear, like what are what is the vision? What are the goals of this you know of of this company? Even in you know even in one person, like I have to say, uh, as as I was writing this and reading this, oh, I have work to do even in my own business because it's always changing and developing. What is my vision? What is it I'm trying to accomplish this week? You know, this month, this year, over the next few years, and then any time we're working together that the importance of having that it I can't I can't overstate how important it is to have that that clarity about what we're trying to accomplish. But then there's what really gets um where it gets interesting is how are we trying to accomplish? What really do we value? You know, how how valuable is things like uh showing initiative, things like how do we are are we aligned in our agreement around dealing with conflict and difficulty? Uh, are we aligned in how we celebrate how we celebrate success? All all those kinds of um, alignment and accountability issues are super important and super interesting. Yeah, yeah, very much. Um, another step: cultivate courage. Um, that you know. Is that uh, a um, skill that that one can learn? I mean, it, you know, when I look around, I, I personally can view certain people as more or less courageous. So, what 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 does it mean by cultivate courage? Yeah, that that um, again, the 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 default tends to be to um, to stay safe and to avoid conflict and, and difficulties. Who wants who wants to do any of that? It's it's hard. So and so I think the courage part of it, the and I love the word courage because courage, you know, includes it's starting with the heart. It's like trusting your heart. Trust it's like cultivate the heart work and to turn toward what feels dangerous and difficulty with you know, with compassion, with skill, with skill and compassion. So I think the the uh, cultivating our own inner strength and inner courage is such a 
core part of these uh, practices of finding more clarity in our lives. Yeah, yeah. And one one area that I think people sometimes don't put um, much attention to when it comes to you know finding clarity, and, and it's kind of a there are two steps in, in your approach that uh, one is prioritize relationships, and the other is building supportive communities. So in both of those, it seems to stress the importance of of having others around you that can, I guess, maybe uh, help you with that accountability um, and kind of uh, – so, so, you know, why the um, stress – the importance – of, of recognizing others as um, yeah. a an important component in this. Well, we, you know, we very, you know, we we very easily go to um, labeling people. So in the work world, you know, that's an obvious one where we all have roles, right? Whatever we all have titles and roles, and we're always in that in that role relationship. So. Partly what I'm what I'm suggesting here is emphasizing relationship outside of roles that we're all we're all human beings and to and to um, of course we have to you know those those uh, those business roles those are those are important not not denying them but not to be fooled by them and the same is true even in our families right our roles as you know parent or child or brother or sister or whatever, you know, to um, to embrace those roles as we must. But at the same time, a kind of um, the importance and the love and trust that can develop when we're just just being with other, our, our com- the, the importance of the common humanity uh, at work and outside of work. To, so this is what I'm emphasizing by you know, prioritizing relationships as well as building supportive communities that that almost everything we do is with other people at work and outside of work. And and we are we are social creatures. We're creatures that need you know, we, we need each other for the practical things but also for our own identities and our own sense of competency and and love and trust, you know. So, yeah, to yeah. to uh, to swim to swim in that territory more skillfully. Exactly. Now um, we're kind of running out of time, but there was one that I had the last hint to myself about it was expect change to happen quickly and gradually, and I thought, huh? Now, but but it does make sense, you know, that certain change can happen quick, you know, depending on, you know, the the activity and, and the response and that kind of thing, but also some change takes longer. So, and, and I think when we, you know, embark on a, a path of change, you know, we tend to look to one or the other rather than both being appropriate. Right. Right. Yeah, this is, I think, a beautiful um, kind of paradox, right, that expect change quickly and, and slowly at the same time, to be open to that one insight, one new person, one new relationship, one phone call can change everything, right? Uh, and at the same time, 
to be more patient and open and, and to see that it's it's the it tends to be the little things that that we almost don't even realize you know that we've grown and developed and changed. So it's both. It's both at the yeah. same time. Exactly. Well, we're, we're toward the end of the show, Mark. So I uh, appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Again, some of the other areas that you covered in the book that we hadn't had a chance to was um, cultivating clear vision, turning breakdowns into breakthroughs, and of course, one of those chapters is don't wait. <laughs> so don't wait. Go out and buy the book. <laughs> um, so, uh, what what is it that you hope that the reader will take away from from reading Finding Clarity, Mark? Yeah, I, again, I think the um, I really like uh, you know this uh, this nine point cheat sheet that I developed, um, and and this uh, you know especially uh, start by stopping and uh, work skillfully with our conflicts. Uh, inner and outer, and um, yeah, build build communities, and don't and, and don't wait, don't wait. Uh, yeah, life life really is our our lives are short and our lives are long, but there's something about uh, treating uh, treating each day with this um, immense sense that it's a, a miracle and and an opportunity to grow and learn and develop. Great. Yeah, now I noticed on your, on your website that at the bottom of your website you have links to your social media um, contacts or platforms that you're involved with. So if people want to engage with you on those platforms, they can join you there. I know I have on a couple already. So thank you for your time, Mark. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I enjoyed it a lot. Take care. You're very welcome. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Mark Lesser. You've been talking about his new book, Finding Clarity, How Compassionate Accountability Builds Vibrant Relationships, Thriving Workplaces, and Meaningful Lives. And again, you can find out more about his programs, speaking and books, and podcasts by visiting his website, which is marklesser.net, and that's M-A-R-C-L-E-S-S-E-R.net. So, everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.